For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some access deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code cal for 20 percent off your first order outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems things like hard starts rough performance and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup sea foam can help your engine run better and last longer simply pour a can in your gas tank hunters and anglers rely on sea foam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. From Mediator's World News Headquarters in Bozeman, Montana, this is Cal's Week in Review presented by Steel. Steel products are available only at authorized dealers. For more, go to SteelDealers.com. Now... Here's your host, Ryan Cal Callahan. A county prosecutor in Ohio was forced to apologize last month after suggesting that the county hold a feral cat hunting season. Licking County, that's correct, Licking County prosecutor Bill Hayes made the comments during a question and answer session as part of his campaign for a seat on the county commission. While he admitted the proposal won't be very popular, he pointed out that the county has a squirrel hunting season, so why not cats? Here's a quote from Bill. It would seem to me if you've got an animal that's not a pet for anybody, you've got to do what you've got to do to make the situation better. A feral cat season, if you need to, you know, you got to do what you got to do. As in many places in the U.S., the feral cat population is growing in Licking County, Ohio. A local nonprofit called the Licking County Trap Neuter Release, aside from being just one word away from a nasty Google search, says they neuter as many as 75 cats every week, and 130 cat colonies are enrolled in their neutering program. The local Humane Society estimates that they have spayed or neutered 5,000 cats in the last decade, according to the Newark Advocate. Which, you know, if you're doing the math, they've neutered or spayed 5,000 cats in the last decade. And currently, they are neutering or spaying 75 cats a week, and there are 130 cat colonies enrolled in their program. We can go ahead and say definitively that spay neuter release does not work. The director of that humane society said the community was stunned by Hayes' proposal. The comments under the original article are mostly negative, and Ohio law prohibits, quote, needlessly killing cats and dogs. While I'd question whether killing feral cats is, quote, needless, Hayes' comment obviously caused some hissing and spitting in Licking County. Quick side note, 
Ohio won't be opening a feral cat season anytime soon, but Australia's aboriginal communities have hunted feral cats since at least the 1890s, according to Smithsonian Magazine. Since being introduced to the continent about 230 years ago, cats have wiped out more than a dozen species in Australia. Today, the feral cat population has ballooned to over 5 million. And in sensitive ecosystems like Kangaroo Island, some locals have taken it upon themselves to extirpate the cats by hunting them. Back in Ohio, Hayes issued an apology two days after making his comment, I know we can't go around shooting cats, he said. My solution was not a good one, not even feasible. Well, I don't understand why it's not feasible. It's a great question. Unfortunately for Hayes, his political career uh, took a lick there in Licking County. The damage was already done. His opponent took advantage of the blunder by posting on Facebook an uncaptioned image of himself holding a cat. Just a few weeks later, Hayes lost the election for county commissioner by less than one percentage point, or about 277 votes. Wonder what the numbers would have been like if songbirds and small mammals could have voted. There might be more than one way to skin a cat, but in Licking County, at least for now, there's only one way to get rid of them, which is, uh, let them die of old age. As a reminder, outdoor cats kill about 2.4 billion birds per year in the United States. A 2013 study published in the journal Nature, titled The Impact of Free-Ranging Domestic Cats on Wildlife in the United States, estimates that free-ranging domestic cats kill 1.3 to 4 billion birds and 6.3 to 22.3 billion mammals annually. Unowned cats, as opposed to owned pets, cause the majority of this mortality. Our findings suggest that free-ranging cats cause substantially greater wildlife mortality than previously thought and are likely the single greatest source of anthropogenic mortality for U.S. birds and mammals. Scientifically sound conservation and policy intervention is needed to reduce this impact. That was written, again, in 2013. It is now 2022, and we're still spaying, neutering, and releasing animals that continue to eat just because it's fun. I'll bring up the old joke of the farmer saying, Sir, the issue is the cats are eating the birds. They're not having sex with them to death. It's just science, folks. Don't let that affect free-ranging cats. Seriously, why? Why is it a bad thing to suggest the killing of feral cats? I do not understand. Anyway, this week, we've got hunter safety, legislation, and so much more. But first, I'm going to tell you about my week. And my week was spent at the annual Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous. Rendezvous is, first of all, a great time. I'll say for the outdoors, it's also a really diverse crowd. BHA membership seems to skew largely independent, so every circle you bump into is kind of hard to pin down, which I love. You have libertarian to liberal to conservative, all having a beer together and sharing perspectives on what matters. Public land, public wildlife, food. We talked about wins and losses. We talked a lot about corner crossing. You can listen to that big discussion on the BHA podcast and blast hosted by Hal Herring. This episode features Liz Lynch and Jared Oakleaf of Wyoming BHA. We talk about bruised airspace, private property, and what's not the U.S. Constitution, Unlawful Enclosures Act, and the fact that very few landowners actually restrict access on corners, and we can't let people think that every person with a private property sign is unlawfully enclosing the public trust. 
We talked about a lawsuit filed here in the state of Montana by the United Property Owners of Montana against Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks. They're demanding the culling of Montana's elk herd and removal of wildlife management from the hands of professionals to be placed in the hands of the state legislature. That's not made up. That's a real lawsuit happening right now. However, the fight to take wildlife management away from the public trust is, unfortunately, a nationwide thing, much of which we've covered here on the Week in Review. We also talked, of course, about the Houses Act, the most recent and blatant attempt to convert public lands to uninterrupted stretches of Utah Strip Mall. So yeah, some serious talk, but I'll still tell you that leaving BHA Rendezvous is oddly invigorating. Don't let my cold fool you. We can all get wrapped up in the periodicals, the news cycles, and conservation can be lonely and sometimes even a depressing place. But when you spend three to four days amongst a crowd that is largely younger than you are and super passionate about amplifying the benefits of the outdoors to the masses while at the same time wholly concerned with the proper conservation of our wild spaces and a willingness to teach the ethical stewardship that goes along with the land of many uses, some periodically crowded trailheads or sensitive high alpine terrain, you leave feeling like there isn't just blind hope in the future, but an actual path forward. I'll see y'all next year, and big thank you to all the BHA volunteers and staff that made such a great event possible. I'm fired up. Moving on. It's been a while since our last hunter safety roundup, and that's a good thing. Hunting is safer than it's ever been, but that doesn't mean we should get complacent. Here's a few reasons why. On Saturday, May 7th, a grandfather took his nine-year-old grandson turkey hunting in Randolph County, North Carolina. The day was uneventful till their return to the car. As the grandfather was loading their gear into the back of the vehicle, he heard a gunshot from the front seat. The child had entered the front passenger area of the car, and somehow a 9mm handgun was, quote, tossed into the back seat. The gun went off and struck the child in the head. The sheriff's office hasn't said exactly who got a hold of the gun. So far, they've maintained that the shooting was accidental, and they haven't mentioned a third party who was present during the incident. The grandfather rushed the child to a location where he had cell reception and met an ambulance on his way to the hospital. As of May 9, the child had survived his wounds and was recovering. You might not call that incident strictly hunting-related, but here's one you might not call an accident. On Saturday, April 30, a 28-year-old turkey hunter named Colton Shoemaker was setting up decoys with his girlfriend on some private land in West Virginia. While they were doing this, they saw 68-year-old David Haggerty sit down near a tree not far away. According to court documents obtained by Metro News, a short time later they heard turkeys in the area, but they didn't have a chance to go after them. Haggerty shot Shoemaker with a 243 Winchester rifle. Shoemaker died of his wounds later that day, and Haggerty told investigators he thought the 28-year-old was a turkey. So far, Haggerty has only been charged with two counts of wanton endangerment with a firearm, Both are felony charges, and the West Virginia Natural Resources Police say additional charges are likely. In case you're wondering, it is legal in West Virginia to hunt turkeys with a rifle. In another tragic story, a 17-year-old named Caleb Ladehoff was shot and killed while hunting with friends in Nebraska on Sunday, May 1. The Hamilton County Sheriff's Office has not released any additional details, but Sheriff Jeremy McCoy told the Lincoln Star-Journal that his office is investigating the incident along with the Nebraska State Police. So far, no charges have been filed. I'll say it till I'm blue in the face or I stop reading these stories. If you're going to bring a loaded gun into the woods, 
it's your responsibility to do so safely. That means keeping your finger off the trigger until you're ready to fire. It means knowing with 100% certainty what your target is. It means keeping your safety on, or better yet, not walking around with a round in the chamber, which is not exactly the easiest thing to do in the turkey woods. I understand that. There's never been a safer time to be a hunter. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise, but let stories like these motivate you to never let your guard down and always, always practice safe gun handling in the woods, no matter who you're with. Moving on to the turkey desk. On Tuesday, April 17, a Mississippi man became only the 15th hunter in history to earn a U.S. Super Slam by killing a turkey in 49 different states. Chip Davis killed his first turkey in Mississippi in the late 1980s, and he bagged his first out-of-state bird in Missouri in 1992. Over the next 30 years, he killed a turkey in every other state. Some years, he only traveled to one state. Other years, he hit several different states, including this year when he killed birds in Hawaii, Arizona, Virginia, and West Virginia. As you can imagine, Davis had some serious turkey hunting wisdom to dispense, and I'll get to that in a minute. But what came through most clearly in his interview with Meat Eater is his deep appreciation for turkeys. Turkeys were my mentors, he said. What taught me the little bit I know about turkeys is turkeys. For example, Davis has worked out 17 distinct segments of the turkey breeding season. When he lands in an area, his first order of business is to make sure there are turkeys on the property. Then he starts trying to pinpoint the breeding season timeline. If it's still early, he uses an aggressive calling strategy to make gobblers think he's a rival. If the males are already henned up, he uses soft hen calls and focuses on getting into a good shooting position. If it's late in the season, he ramps up his hen calling to lure in a gobbler who maybe hasn't seen a hen in a few days. The road hasn't been easy. I don't have access to Davis's bank account, but the farm equipment auctioneer doesn't appear to be a millionaire. He described the incredible pressure he was under to bag a turkey on each trip, especially when the plane tickets were expensive and he only had a few days to hunt. He wasn't always successful. He had to visit five states twice to bag a turkey, including last year when he whiffed in both Virginia and West Virginia. But this year, everything came together. He celebrated his 25th anniversary with his wife by taking a trip to Hawaii, where he checked that state off the list. Then, he flew back to Arizona, where he got a turkey on a Native American reservation. A few days later, he flew out to the East Coast, where he ended his journey with a great-looking gobbler on some private land in West Virginia. You can't tell this story without talking about how turkeys and turkey hunters and the National Wild Turkey Federation resurrected the turkey population in the United States. When the NWTF got started in 1973, there were only 1.3 million wild turkeys in North America. Today, there are almost 7 million turkeys, and as Davis proved, every state except Alaska has a huntable population of birds. The U.S. Super Slam is a relatively new award because only in the last 20 years has the turkey population been healthy enough to support a hunt from coast to coast. So congrats, Chip. There won't be many Super Slam winners, but I'm hopeful that you won't be the last. For all you elk hunters out there, chasing turkeys is basically the same thing. I know the reaction you just gave me, but don't knock it till you try it and don't try it without OnX. The Hunt app will not only help you find new areas on public ground, but I use it to find out landowner info to get permission on private ground that I see birds on as well. OnX Hunt has a special offer for you. Use code CAL 
to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com hunt and find more birds this spring. We've all seen plenty of gadgets and fads come and go, but here's one product that stood the test of time. Seafoam motor treatment. Lots of hunters and anglers know that seafoam helps engines run better and last longer. It's really simple. When you pour it in your gas tank, seafoam cleans harmful fuel deposits that cause engine problems. I'm talking common stuff like hard starts, rough engine performance, or lost fuel economy. Seafoam is an easy way to prevent or overcome these problems. Just pour a can in your gas tank and let it clean your fuel system. You probably know someone who has used a can of seafoam to get their truck or boat going again. I guarantee you've listened to them because I use it you know, regularly. People everywhere rely on seafoam to keep their trucks, boats, and small engines running the way they should the entire season. Help your engine run better and last longer. Pick up a can of seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit seafoamworks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. You've heard that name before because I've talked about them here on this podcast. They're on a mission to balance access deer populations on Maui while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. Now, it's wild axis deer, which is an invasive species, but this operation is monitored and observed by the USDA and they can commercially sell axis deer. Last time I went out to uh, Maui to hunt axis, I did not kill one, which is where Maui Nui Venison would come in very handy for folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful and still want to have something in the freezer or uh, handy in the form of a snack stick that is as close to getting your own as you can get, which is what Maui Nui Venison is. You can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I Venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order. Moving on to the legislation desk. First up, The Atlantic State's Marine Fisheries Commission has issued the final provisions of Amendment 7 to their striped bass management plan. Big thanks to all of you who called, emailed, and testified at their spring meeting where they voted on these provisions. More than 4,000 people weighed in, and that effort paid off. Although we didn't get every last thing we wanted, Amendment 7 is now solidly behind recovered striped bass populations. Even better, none of the worst-case scenario provisions made it into the final plan. As you'll recall from episode 152, there are a lot of ins and outs on this issue, so we're just going to cover the headlines here. Head over to the news section of the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers website for a great deep dive by New York and New England chapter coordinator Chris Borgatti. The first big headline, Amendment 7, now assumes that recruitment will be low over the next several years, which means that harvest and mortality restrictions will be set at conservative levels. Although that will limit take in the short term, it will also rebuild the stock more quickly. Amendment 7 now also requires the board to take aggressive action right away if the upcoming stock assessment in October shows depleted populations, rather than going through a year-long addendum process. A 10-year recovery plan will also go into effect within the two years if that assessment brings bad news. Efforts to reduce mortality from recreational catch and release will be implemented as education and outreach programs rather than hard-to-enforce regulation, which conservation organizations were pulling for. 
One element we didn't cover in episode 152 was the concept of conservation equivalency, or CE. The Cliffs Notes version of CE is that it's a way for individual states to come up with their own ways to meet harvest thresholds and other restrictions separate from the methods that the board hands down. That's fine when it's working well, but over the past several years, it's become a loophole. And Amendment 7 will tighten up how conservation equivalency, or CE, is administered to rein in abuse. But the biggest takeaway here, the biggest headline, is that getting off your butt and making noise for what you want makes an enormous difference. The commission board voted against public opinion on a couple of issues, but by and large, when the public lined up for a certain option, the board followed that guidance, and therefore, we're much more likely to have a thriving fishery and kick-ass days on the water 10 years from now. If you were one of the people who got involved, all I can say is thank you. Don't forget to thank your commissioners as well. Next up, the Florida Fish and Wildlife Commission has changed its hunting regs so that you may now go after alligators 24 hours a day, up from 17 hours. Florida alligator season runs from August 15 through November 1st, so you Sunshine State insomniacs out there now have another way to keep yourself busy and fill the freezer. The state plans to issue 7,300 alligator permits this year, so after the bars close, head on out to the drainage ditches and koi ponds and see what you find responsibly, of course. Across the country in Wyoming, severe droughts have been very hard on the growth of shrubs like sagebrush and rabbit brush, and the pronghorn and mule deer that feed on those shrubs are also headed for a tough time. In response, the state has reduced the number of antelope tags it will issue by 8,000 and mule deer by 3,300. Pronghorn are especially vulnerable to this particular effect of droughts because they very seldom drink water from streams and pools like other ungulates do. Antelope rather absorb almost all of their water from the plants they eat. We'll continue to track the effects of drought on species across the country. In Colorado, the state Senate has passed SB 22-169, which authorizes state agencies to limit access to state records that would give away the location of animals and their breeding or nesting habitat. In recent years, more and more hunters have started to use the GPS location data of state wildlife agencies to scout game which is honestly no one's idea of fair chase. Coloradans, call up Governor Polis and ask him to sign this one. And if you live anywhere in the West, call your reps and ask them to consider drafting similar legislation. In Delaware, HB 378 has been introduced in the Health and Human Development Committee to implement a fine for anyone whose dog or dogs bark for more than 15 minutes and would oblige all law enforcement, not just animal welfare officers, to enforce the law. Although this seems to be targeted at city dwellers with noisy neighbors, hound hunters are worried that anti-hunting groups would use this statute to harass them. You first staters, contact your duly elected to vote against HB 378. In New Jersey, Assembly Bill 3732 will increase the minimum legal distance from occupied buildings for bow hunters from 150 feet to 450 feet. If you think about the hunting that our friend Taylor Chamberlain does from swing sets in the D.C. suburbs, a law like this would end that altogether. That would mean no more of the food that suburban hunters provide for themselves in local food pantries and one less check on out-of-control deer populations. 
AB 3732 would also require those hunting on private property to notify the landowners of all adjacent properties and receive back written confirmation, which would also effectively end hunting in these areas. Basically, everyone lives next to at least one cat lady. Garden staters, definitely call your reps to vote against AB 3732. Thank you to Glenn Beckmeyer for writing in on that one. In Hawaii, a bill that bans the use of drones for fishing is awaiting the signature of Governor David Ige. Anglers have been using drones in the Loha State to carry their bait hundreds of yards out into the ocean and drop it exactly where they want it. Supporters of the bill, which include the state's Department of Natural Resources, say the practice harms fish populations and litters the ocean with fishing line. The measure passed the House and the Senate by large majorities, but has been criticized by the fishing community. The governor has not indicated whether he plans to sign it. As of this recording, it is still on the governor's desk. And finally, we're going a little farther afield to Rome, Italy, in the four millionth example of Don't Feed the Wildlife. Picnicking has been banned north of Rome to control the spread of African swine fever and feral pigs there. You know how this story goes. People offer their panini crust to the cute pigs, they balance their mozzarella wrappers on top of an overflowing garbage can, and the pigs pack together to get that food and spread illness in the process. African swine fever is a particularly nasty one, as it infects feral swine harmlessly, but kills almost all domesticated pigs. Meaning that, its host can spread it for years at a catastrophic cost to agriculture. The Italian government has announced an upcoming culling effort, which is likely to run into local opposition, but that's the only way to control the spread. An earlier European outbreak in the 1990s was only stopped when several countries adopted very strict eradication programs. Now, I don't think this idea will get a lot of traction, but knowing how much Italians love their soprasata and prosciutto and cured meats in general, maybe we can get all those picnickers in Rome to make a picnic out of these feral pigs. Then we'd have the problem under control pronto pronto. That's all I've got for you this week. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, as you're battling from spring thaw into summer, snowing here currently, you may need a little reinforcement, courtesy of some clean, quiet, battery-operated steel chainsaws, leaf blowers, weed whackers, mowers, maybe even a shop vac. Go to www.steeldealers.com and find a local knowledgeable steel dealer near you. They'll get you set up with what you need and they won't send you home with what you don't. And most importantly, write in to A-S-K-C-A-L, that's AskCal, at TheMeatEater.com and let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you next week. Outdoor adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and burnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. That's SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. Hey, I just sat down with the owners and operators of Maui Nui Venison. They're on a mission to balance Axis deer populations on Maui 
while giving back to the community and run a totally sustainable operation. For folks like me who want to get your own meat but aren't always successful, you can become a snack subscriber, get some Axis Deer sticks sent right to your door. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I venison.com and use promo code CAL for 20% off your first order.